Hi, I'm Gar Sanders. I'm Jamie Wincup. I'm Lee Holdsworth. I'm James Courtney. We're the Forex Angels, and you're listening to the VA Insiders. It's your weekly dose of V8 news on the V8 Insiders. Now here's your host, Craig Revell. The calendar is out, Luff gets a full-time ride, and the officials strike back. We face a lot of criticism. I, I'm quite prepared to cop criticism, especially when we're wrong, which we, I think we never really are. It's all coming up today as the red lights go out on another edition of the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. The calendar has been released with a number of changes. The headline of 2011, Bahrain is out, Singapore's not there, and we all head back to Queensland Raceway. Bahrain has been admitted because the Kingdom's calendar at the beginning of the season was too crowded. With a GP2 Asia event in February and Formula 1 in March, it means that not enough room was left for the V8 supercars to slot into the gap. This leaves the Middle Eastern Cup a one-event championship in 2011. Singapore looks likely to be a victim of the TV broadcasting and sponsorship issues, with V8 supercars indicating they would still prefer to race at the proposed Changi circuit rather than sharing the bill with the Formula One. So that means the series returning to Queensland Raceway, which most insiders believe was off the early drafts of the calendar, and also Perth returns in 2011. So February 10 to 12 is Yas a V8 400. Then it's March 17 to 20, the Clipsal 500. It's off to the Grand Prix for the new look event there from March 24 to 27. Hamilton is April 15 to 17. Perth, May 6 to 8. Winton, May 20 to 22. June, one meeting, the Sky City Triple Crown on the 17th and 19th. Then it's off to Townsville in early July, the 8th to the 10th. Ipswich on the 19th to the 21st of August. Then it's September for the LNH 500 on the 16th to 18th. October 6 till 9 is the Super Cheap Autos Bathurst 1000. October 21 to 23, the Armour All Gold Coast 600. Then it's back down to Tassie in November on 11th and 13th, backing it up the next weekend with the Norton 360 Challenge on the 18th and 20th. Then it all concludes on Event 14 in December 2nd and 4th, the Sydney Telstra 500. The Fujitsu calendar was also launched last week with a seven-round championship seeing the teams head to Perth for the first time. They run at Clipsal, then off at Perth, then up to Townsville, Ipswich, Bathurst, Sandown and conclude their championship at the Telstra 500 in Sydney. Warren Luff has been confirmed at Lucas Dumbrell Racing for the rest of 2010 and all of 2011. Luff has been co-driving with championship leader James Courtney this year and is looking forward to returning to the series full-time. Tony Cochran has told the teams that next year's Gold Coast race will have 29 international drivers, with none of the drivers in the Gold Coast race allowed to start in either the Phillip Island or Bathurst event. Teams will also not be allowed to test Gold Coast drivers outside of the official test day ahead of the event. 
These comments, though, have to be ratified by the board at their next meeting. Trading Post have announced they'll be ending their relationship with Brad Jones Racing at the end of the season. In a press release this week, they announced that after a review of its sponsorship program, it has decided to conclude its agreement with Brad Jones Racing at the end of the year. It is expected that Trading Post will be on a FPR car driven by Will Davison in 2011, the door being left open by this comment in the press release. Trading Post confirms it remains committed to the ongoing support of the sport and hopes to announce its V8 supercar program for next year ahead of the Sydney Telstra 500 in December. Jim Beam Racing is getting on their bikes to help fundraise for Diabetes Queensland and the Heart Foundation. Fifteen members of the Jim Beam Racing and Dick Johnson Racing teams, including drivers James Courtney, Jonathan Webb and David Russell, are setting off on Queensland's biggest bike ride, the 2010 Wilson HTM Brisbane to the Gold Coast 100k. We'll be back after the break with more news on the V8 Insiders. Find out more about your favourite supercar teams and drivers when we go inside further on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. You're listening to V8 Insiders. The officials came under some criticism during the Gold Coast event for a number of decisions. And Stephen Chopping, Chief Steward of V8 Supercars, last week our show raised a number of points which I wanted to give you the right of reply. Thanks, Craig. Um, We face a lot of criticism. I'm quite prepared to cop criticism, especially when we're wrong, which I think we never really are. But um, it's always um, pleasing that there is a right of reply given. I thought the criticism last week was quite fair. um, And uh, in reality, the record needs to be set straight in respect of the surrounding circumstances of those things that were done um, by either race control or the stewards at the uh, the Gold Coast race. Mm. Well, if we start with James Courtney, his penalty... On the restart, uh, he was asked, and uh, we heard the audio over the radio where he was asked to maintain safety car speed. The requirement, the rules require, irrespective of whether the race director says or not on the uh, race management radio, the rules require that once the safety car lights are off and the safety car accelerates away from the field, the leader becomes the effective safety car and is to maintain speed. That speed is to be maintained until the green flag is the green flags are displayed all around the circuit. The green flag is displayed when the safety car pulls into um, the uh, pit entry road. Then there's an announcement over race management channel, which goes out to the teams, and the uh, flag marshals display green flag all around the circuit. From there, the leader, up until the time that he crosses the control line, is free to either accelerate or to maintain that speed. He has the choice about when to accelerate, but most definitely the rules require that nobody slow down. In James' situation, uh, what was shown was that on approximately five occasions, there were increases in speed to about 100 and slowing to about 50 kilometres an hour, done five times in rapid succession, whereas the speed that he should have maintained was 80 kilometres an hour. So the penalty fits the crime? 
Yes and no. The penalty that was imposed is the penalty that is provided to us by V8 Supercars after consideration of its rules. Its rules are, con are approved by the FIA and uh, provided with those rules is a recommended set of minimum penalties. The minimum penalty provided uh, for safety car uh, restart breaches is a drive-through. We didn't impose any penalty more than the minimum that was required of us by the rules. There are good arguments that it didn't fit the crime. There are other arguments that uh, there are safety issues involved and it avoids the concertina of the field. Whatever the situation is, we applied the penalty that we were required to in the circumstances. We did nothing other than uh, enforce the rules that um, we were there to uh, ensure were enforced fairly. Unfortunately, um, the messengers get shot in this situation rather than uh, any querying of the message. The mechanical black flag was displayed for a, a problem on the car. Most yes. assumed it was damage to the left-hand front corner of that car, but it, it turns out that might not be correct. No, what happened was that there were reports from around the circuit by flag marshals and it was apparent from uh, the uh, numerous television monitors available in race control that there was a reported fuel leak from the uh, filler of the car. The mechanical black flag is uh, under the control of the race director, not the stewards. It's a safety flag, not a penalty flag. The race director, with the information that he had from around the track, and from V8 supercar staff and from the television monitors announced that there was a mechanical black flag for petrol leakage, fuel leakage from um, car two. When that message went out over race management, the television paid more close attention to the um, area of the fuel leak. There were some close-ups of uh, the leak. It was apparent that that leak came not from the fuel filler but from the uh, passenger's rear window of, the, um, of car two. Greg Crick, who will be Thomas Mazera's replacement as a uh, driving standards observer at Simmons Plains, said that's the driver's water bottle. It was then apparent that the flag had been issued for a fuel leakage. Uh, it was water. It did, was perceived not to present a danger. The race director then uh, directed that the mechanical black flag be withdrawn. The car did have damage occasioned to the front when it hit a, um, uh, an apex tyre in the back chicane. The headlight came out. The front bar was in a damaged condition. The condition of the car was monitored from race control by um, use of the various monitors, plus the uh, V8 supercar staff in pit lane and all the flag marshals around the track. All that information indicated that while there was damage to uh, car two, it didn't appear to require a mechanical black flag. None was issued, and in fact there was no further damage or um, loose bodywork apparent on car two for the rest of the race. But that's a judgment call. That's a judgment call made by the race director and it's made on the best possible information which includes flag marshals reports, V8 supercar staff reports from pit lane and uh, also from the um, viewing of the numerous monitors that are available in race control. That incident, knowing that now it's not a stewards incident, it is a race control incident, that then brought back some memories of the Clipsal 500 where we saw Jamie Wincup with that uh, cowling that uh, was hanging off the car and eventually flew off. And he was made to serve the penalty even though the uh, item had come away from the car. Is there a consistency problem there? And you being a, a man who has a, a great pension for the, for the law, do you think there are some consistency problems when you have situations like that? No, I don't think there's a problem. Um, 
two, there are two different, uh, two different situations. In the case of car two, the bits had come off and nothing more appeared to be loose. With um, Jamie Wink up at Clipsall, he had, um, the rear under tray had come loose and was swinging around. There was a risk that it may have come off and, amongst other things, either damaged another car, gone into the crowd or injured a marshal. The mechanical black flag was displayed. That piece came off, but no one knew what else may have been loose underneath the car or what else may have, been, may have come off, and so the, the car still required safety checking in pit lane. Plus, if you've got a driver who doesn't obey a mechanical black flag and goes around with some loose bodywork in the hope that it will come off, because if he stays out long enough, runs over enough curbs, it'll come off, that's going to present a problem in itself because you'll have flying debris going potentially anywhere and uh, it would be an encouragement for people to uh, try and shake off loose bodywork when the best thing is that it stays as attached to the car as possible uh, rather than avoid a risk. So um, I see that there are significant differences in each case. Um, each case is considered on its merits. Each case is considered on a host of information which is unfortunately, well, not available to uh, the general viewing public um, in terms of the safety issues of the cars. One uh, point that folks raised on the show last week is he said the stewards, yourself included, uh, are doing a, a very tough job made, made harder by the fact that perhaps the rules aren't as good as they could be. Now, you have plenty of experience throughout all levels of motorsport right up to Formula One. How do you see the rules that you have to apply with V8 supercars compared to these other divisions that you have been involved in? V8 supercars work on an operations manual which is quite specific. It doesn't have a lot of the generalities of the uh, international sporting code and the international regulations or even of the uh, CAMS national competition rules and standing race regulations. They're much more rigid in their application of the rules and quite specific and we're also provided with a scale of penalties that um, are to be applied in respect of the rules. Um, I think that there's a, there's a common group consensus amongst people that many of the offences, many of the breaches of V8 supercar rules uh, attract penalties which seem to be out of kilter when considered with either the rest of the sport or when considered against other breaches that might attract um, lesser penalties for what are seen to be equally serious breaches. So um, always it's a balancing act, unfortunately um, or fortunately. We can only apply the rules that are given to us. Our discretion is extremely limited when it comes to the minimum penalties. I'd far prefer that we had more discretion. Um, whether we're entrusted to have more discretion or not uh, involves a um, huge um, act of faith and trust in the stewards. I'd like to think that we've demonstrated that that trust should be used, but um, there may be situations where others don't think that we should be entrusted with that. But in short... Um, it's agreed that um, many of the penalties that we have to impose seem to be um, out of proportion with the severity of the uh, breach that we're dealing with. Do you feel you have enough consultation? Um, oh, there's good consultation and a good working relationship between the V8 supercar staff and CAMS. Um, the, uh, and that involves a great deal of cooperation with the FIA in numerous aspects. Um, we've got a good range of um, uh, consultation with the V8 staff um, directly on a CAMS board to V8 supercar board there isn't any consultation. It goes through the uh, CAMS volunteers and the CAMS staff members through to the V8 supercar staff. Um, 
far be it for me to uh, to criticise the way in which a board makes its decisions, but um, uh, I'd like to think that the V8 supercar staff are able to uh, advise what our attitude is to things and the criticisms we have. The uh, V8 rules seem to be a, a live animal that's always um, open to um, evolution and uh, the things have evolved as time's gone on. Sometimes um, a bit of pressure on the need for evolution uh, appears to be greater than at other times. But I think we've got a, a good working relationship and good communication between the two organisations. And that's the news on the V8 Insiders. After the break, Lachlan Mansell and Tony Whitlock will join me next. Controversy Corner is next when we return with more on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. The views expressed on V8 Insiders, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect those of the network, Thunder Media, sportradio.com.au or V8X Magazine. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Hi, I'm Jason Richards. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Joining us this week from Race Facts, it's Tony Whitlock. Good evening, Tony. Uh, g'day to you, Craig. G'day, Lachlan. And Lachlan Mansell from Motorsport E News, also joining us on the line. Hello, Lockie. G'day, Craig. G'day, Tony. How are you guys going? Well, all the better for recent racing, most people would say, but considering the next race is a few weeks away, Tony. Um, I... Yeah, look, I had a great time up in uh, Queensland. It was a fantastic event. Wonderful to talk to internationals who are so well-versed in talking to journalists. It is quite a difference when you're talking to uh, people, particularly from the North American school of how to promote yourself and your sport. Yeah, great willingness to talk, to give a point of view, not frightened about anything they say. Um, yeah, it's quite, quite dramatically different in many ways, certainly to uh, Europeans as well. Mm. Of course, Lockie, uh, they didn't have much to say to go wrong because they were just coming in to do a job. Bang, it was all over and uh, they just get to fly home, take the money and run almost. I think they had a lot of fun as well because in some respects there probably wasn't as much pressure on those international drivers as what there is in their normal categories that they race in full time. So I think a lot of the international drivers who came in for the Gold Coast event really enjoyed themselves. Tony, do we have to go to 29 drivers to really make it a truly international and, uh, and make it an even contest? Oh, yeah, look, that, that'll work really well. Um, any suggestion that uh, um, people being favoured, I think we showed up. I mean, Craig was the only one in the top five in the points who had a uh, um, uh, an international. All the others, you know, Courtney and uh, Wind Cup, etc., all those others all had a, uh, a well-heeled uh, and well-credentialed uh, local. But um, Craig certainly didn't miss out because he had the best of the uh, Europeans and Andy Prio, who uh, certainly demonstrated that he had unfinished business in V8s and showed well and truly that he's uh, up to the task. It's interesting, Lockie, because Craig can 
or maybe Craig's style is much more European than we give him credit for because you remember back three three or four years ago when he was driving with uh, Ivan Muller and won at Sandown and, and should have possibly won that uh, Bathurst that year. Well, I think what it shows is not so much that Craig's necessarily European in terms of his driving style, but more along the lines of the fact that his co-drivers, Yvonne Muller and Andy Prego, have both had lots of experience in touring cars. They've both had lots of success in the World Touring Car Championship, and they're accomplished at driving tin-top race cars, whereas a lot of the other drivers on the Gold Coast were more experienced in open-wheel race cars like Indy cars. So I think that's the reason why we've seen uh, Craig Lowndes' international co-drivers, Yvonne Muller back in 2005, and Andy Prego this year slotting into V8 supercars so comfortably. But uh, I have to say I agree with Tony. I think that for next year they should definitely try and get 29 international drivers. Not only does it make it a fairer contest, but it will also improve the exposure for the sport if we've got that many international drivers coming out to race V8 supercars. Mm. Tony, one of the... Cochrane had a, a list of 80, apparently, those 18 came from. Yeah. Uh, look, Tony, uh, one interesting thing, though, is that next year, with this uh, much-vaunted calendar, we're going to clash against a world touring car race, which means the likes of Muller, Prelu and uh, a whole host of others won't even be available for the event. You'd think if you're going to delay a calendar two months, you'd make sure that your international event at least gets the best touring car drivers in the world. Oh, I think there was a lot of fast manoeuvring on the calendar in the last few weeks. Um, I think uh, some things changed quite dramatically and consequently, I mean, you know, the, the Singapore thing, I think that's been on for a while, but, you know, the fact that uh, they weren't going to be at the F1 race, but there were some moves to make, I think, some other events, but didn't happen. Now, Tony, they have been saying, and Tony Cochran has been saying for a long time, we don't want to go to the Formula One, we want to go to the new Changi circuit. So when they weren't on that Formula One gig... I wasn't too surprised, and I certainly wasn't surprised by their comments saying they want to go to Changi, because Tony's been saying they want to go to Changi for about three years now. Yes, yes. Yeah, I, I, I think you run into the problems of television and uh, going for points and things like that. Um, and uh, obviously TV deals are going to be uh, struck in the next 12 months. So there's a lot of things up in the air, and I think they didn't want to complicate things of any great degree. Well, one thing, Lockie, that it, uh, the Australian fans are happy about, even if they don't go to Perth, is that there's another round in Australia. In fact, with Queensland Raceway getting back on the schedule, it means there's actually two more rounds in Australia than what, uh, well, certainly than this year and possibly was going to be. It's interesting, isn't it, the two circuits that have been criticised quite publicly by V8 Supercars Australia for not having facilities that are up to scratch are both back onto the calendar for 2011. And in fact, there's even going to be a Fujitsu V8 Supercar Series round over at Barbagallo in Perth. Now, I'd like to make a bit of a point with regard to that. I think it's a little bit ridiculous that they're sending the Fujitsu Series all the way over to Perth because the vast majority of the Fujitsu V8 Supercar teams are based on the eastern seaboard either in Queensland or in Victoria. There's even a couple in New South Wales. It's already too expensive to contest the Fujitsu series as it is. Why are teams now going to be forced to fork out the transport costs to travel right across the other side of the country? Is there a transport deal we haven't heard about, Tony? Not that I'm aware of. Uh, I 
It is an interesting decision, though, to send them to Perth. And I'm wondering if we need to just go back to that idea of seven events is great, have seven events with the V8 supercars, but they need to go to Malala. They need to go to a couple other tracks that are dropping off the championship and let them have the big names running with them. Well, yeah, I, I agree with you on that. Craig, I, I attended a couple of the standalone Fujitsu Series rounds down at Wakefield Park in Goulburn, and that was fantastic because it's a circuit which doesn't get to see a lot of the high-profile racing categories here in Australia, and it always attracted a pretty healthy audience as well. So I don't see why the Fujitsu Series can't have a standalone round here and there. They don't want to do it that way. They want them to be on with the main game when they're running. Yeah, but if they were to get three or four blow-ins from the main game, that would certainly help with getting a crowd. Possibly, yeah. Queensland Raceway back on the calendar. Everyone was pretty much reserved to the fact that they weren't having to go to Ipswich this year, and Ipswich certainly wasn't making it easy for the V8 supercars because they seem to be resurfacing for six months before the start of the season, and uh, that's why we've now got an Eastern Creek uh, official test day well, as a place. Like, that's an ideal thing in that it's in Sydney, it's only a month after the uh, final of this year's calendar, and that, you know, while it's uh, a good 10, 11 months before the next time the cars are in Sydney, it does give the biggest market, which V8 still haven't cracked, um, a, another chance to see them, and it means that both Queensland and Victorian teams go to a central place and no one gets an advantage from it. That said, it still says that uh, Mr Tedley is being pretty hardball with uh, V8 supercars these days. Oh, well, you know, it's, it's going to be a V8 supercar event, so, you know, all he's doing is being the gatekeeper. All right, we need to take a break on the V8 Insiders. We'll be back with plenty more right after this. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. To ask a question of the V8 Insiders, just email them at v8insiders at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Craig Lance from Team Vodafone, and you're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Lachlan Mansell and Tony Whitlock joining me, Craig Revell. And, uh, guys, we've sort of been uh, speaking about the calendar there, but a few other things have happened this week. First of all, Warren Luff has got himself a uh, rest-of-the-season gig going into 2011 with Lucas Dumbrell Racing, and uh, he's certainly been the quickest of all the drivers on the uh, Friday test days over the last two years and and certainly one of the most capable co-drivers that we saw throughout the three endurance races, Tony. Yeah, well, certainly uh, Dumbrell's needed somebody to step in. I mean, they had an atrocious Service Paradise event. Nathan Pretty just disgraced himself and the team and just ended up, you know, they just looked very, very bad. Scott Pruitt didn't get a chance to show anything at all. They didn't have a particularly good batters, they didn't get in trouble, but they just didn't show much. And, you know, Daniel Gaunt uh, possibly should still be there, but he's not. And they want somebody who's captain reliable, and certainly Warren will do that for them. Good knowledge, knows the tracks, been there before, and will deliver the thing that the team needs to, and that is 
learning the whole time, not just trying to fight back from a back step situation. Mm. The speed, Luff's got uh, Lockie. That is going to be critical for the team because they're, they're getting a driver who can drive a front-running car. Not just the speed, but also the experience, Craig. Warren Luff's had lots of experience in V8 supercar racing, both in endurance races and the uh, season that he did for Dick Johnson Racing back in 2004 and also he did a season with Brytec Motorsport as well back in 2006. One of the things that he's very good at is car setup as well so for a relatively new team, a very new team like Lucas Dumbrell Racing I think that Warren Luff is exactly the kind of driver that they need to take the next step forward. But I'll tell you what, Dick Johnson Racing, they're going to be absolutely spewing because they've just lost um, their star co-driver. I'd have to say that Warren Luff was probably in the top three of all the co-drivers of the V8 Supercar Endurance races this year, along with Steve Owen and Mark Scaife. He was right up there with those guys, I think, as far as pace throughout those endurance races goes. And unfortunately, Dick Johnson Racing won't be able to use his services again next year. Tony, though, it is good to see a good young driver getting a gig, not a good young driver that's got a wallet full of cash. Yeah, yeah, I I agree totally. Um, It means that the uh, pack is getting closer and tighter again. Um, uh, that you know the professionalism should uh, should see that uh, some good racing. Mm. All right, and uh, I guess one of the other... I was going to put this in gas and go, but we'll do it now. Brad Jones Racing on the Jason Bright car is looting, losing Trading Post. Now, a lot of rumours, certainly over the Bathurst weekend, that Trading Post were going to be part of a Will Davison, Davison FPR assault in 2011. Is this, uh, Tony, a bit of a surprise that they'd make the announcement so soon? Yeah, I, yes, it is. Maybe it fits in with something that... Uh, we don't know that Telstra's up to. Um, I'm very sorry for both Brad Jones and, and Brighty's sake that uh, uh, what, what appeared to be a pretty good sponsor is uh, leaving them. No doubt that they'll uh, have been shaking the trees hard and got somebody else on board to uh, replace the, uh, the beautiful orange colours that uh, remind me of McLaren days. Lockie, and your thoughts on this whole uh, change at, uh, at uh, Brad Jones Racing? Well, it adds fuel to the fire, doesn't it, with those rumours that um, Telstra, or Trading Post, which is obviously owned by Telstra, is going to be the sponsor on a Ford Performance Racing Falcon to be driven by Will Davison for season 2011, but I agree with Tony, I really do feel sorry for Brad Jones Racing, because they are one of the smaller outfits in the V8 Supercar Championship, sponsors are never easy to find, they only had Trading Post on board for one year this year and already they've lost that sponsor and it's going to be very, very hard work for them to attract another sponsor. It'll be interesting to see. They had a three-year contract, so in theory you'd have to wonder what the buyout clauses are because the buyout clause must be less than paying for two more full seasons with Brad Jones. Maybe it's performance-based. Maybe Jason Bright didn't get the results that... uh, the sponsor expected maybe there was some kind of performance clause but at the end of the day we can speculate about all the various get out clauses and all the rest of it but the reality is that the sponsor's not going to be on Jason Bright's car for next year Mm. now the well there's no get out clause here because V8X magazine brings you gas and go once again it's five questions in three minutes 
We'll see how we go this time round. But first, to Tony Whitlock. HRT, will they have enough chassis to see out the season? Well, I'm told that uh, the Dan is getting a new one, so they've obviously been working hard to put one together. If, for whatever reason, HRT or Walkinshaw Racing don't have enough chassis to get through the remainder of the season, I think the big loser out of that would be Nick Perkett because he's driving a Walkinshaw Racing prepared chassis in the Fujitsu series, and you would have to say that that car's probably the lowest of their priorities so um, I think they will and if there is the new one on the way for Garth Tander I think they will be okay provided that they don't have any more big crashes like what Fabian Coulthard had at Bathurst. Mm, I think uh, Tony D'Alberto's got a chassis he'll sell back to him anyway. Hey is Jim Beam Racing ownership is that any closer to a resolution uh, in your eyes there Lockie? No it's actually gone fairly quiet over the last couple of weeks. Obviously, there were the big rumours appearing on, you know, newspapers and in the mainstream media throughout Bathurst weekend, but since then, um, everything's gone strangely quiet. So I think there's a bit more news to hear with that one, but, yeah, it'll be interesting to see whether or not um, Mr Tinkler ends up owning the uh, half of Dick Johnson Racing and if Charlie Schwerkolt's still involved in the team or if he goes out and buys his own licence, as has also been rumoured. Now, Tony, when it goes quiet, we know you've got uh, your ear to the phone and the ground. Um, Friday was D-Day. I don't know if that stood for Dick Day or not and whether there's going to be a C-Day for Charlie Day. Um, But uh, Tinkler's, I believe, out of it. Um, He's uh, looking at buying the Newcastle Knights um, and I would suggest that either the garage gets split down the middle so chainsaws will be in action, um, which should be a pretty sad situation, obviously, uh, if that was to occur. But um, the uh, reality is that uh, DJs has, has irreparably been damaged in some way, shape and form. Mm, it could be like the War of the Roses. We all remember that one with the uh, separation of the house. The Forex Gold Survey said that 50.5% of respondents thought the could uh, thought the sport could be managed better. Tony Whitlock, do you? Oh, look, I've been listening to for years, you know, the A-team journalists, that's those that uh, occasionally stick their nose saying that the category's peaked. I don't think that for a second. Um, I think uh, overseas, and I don't question the management of the V8 supercars, um, there's a bunch of fans out there who, I don't know what they demand of it, but they're, they're sadly misguided. I think it's managed pretty well at the moment. I know that some people are quite critical of the way that the sport's managed, but when you look at where it was a decade ago compared to where it is now, you have to say that the current administration of V8 supercars has done a pretty bloody fantastic job to get it up to where it is. Is there a problem that Garth Tander on 19.01% is the most popular driver in the sport? Um, well, I read Roland Dane's comments in the current issue of V8X magazine, and he obviously thinks there is a problem, but Roland's, the numbers don't lie, unfortunately, so uh, obviously, statistically, Garth Tand has taken over from Craig Lowndes as the most popular V8 supercar driver, and I think a lot of that's probably to do with the fact that Craig Lowndes has changed from Ford to Holden. I think he's lost some of the fan base as a result of that. No, I, I think that some of those surveys are a bit misguided. I mean, I think a lot of Forex was misguided anyway, but um, one of the things is that Craig would be the most known motorsport racing driver in this country. 
um, you know, go to any any suburban bloody shopping centre and it'd be he that would pull more fans than anybody else. I'm sorry, Garth, but you're deluded if you think you are. All right. Uh, Tony, how many championships does Jamie Wincup have to win to be more popular than the following list? Shane Van Gisbergen, Greg Murphy, Mark Winterbottom, Stephen Johnson, James Courtney and his teammate Craig Lowndes, who all scored higher than him in the Forex Gold Supercar Survey. I don't think Jamie really cares very little about any surveys and popularity. He'll do what he does. He's a professional, does it extremely well, doesn't put anyone's nose out of joint. And just because some survey says that he's not uh, popular, nothing will mean anything to him. All right, Lockie? I think Tony's hit the nail on the head there. Part of what makes Jamie Wincup such a good driver is he is so focused in some respects. Some people in um, in Fanland might see him as being a little bit clinical and a little bit sterile and maybe not interacting with the fans as much as some of the other drivers. But I think that's um, how Jamie Wincup's able to extract the most performance from himself as a driver. So that's the reason that he's been so successful. Mm, it's interesting indeed. It's, uh, there's no doubting he is a man who's at the absolute top of his game currently and that's what you like to see, a driver at his peak doing his best on the racetrack. That's Gas and Go, brought to you by the latest edition of the V8X magazine. And, guys, thanks very much for your time. Tony Whitlock, Race Facts, of course, is available. You just have to ask for it. Thanks, mate. And also to Lachlan Mansell, of course, uh, with Motorsport E-News and Motorsport News. Yes, make sure you get online on every Monday night. Thanks very much. As the checker flag waves over another edition of the V8 Insiders, Till next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Join us next week for more V8 Insiders, only on v8x.com.au.